Praise God. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Hey, Williams, did you play? Have you ever played with these musicians before? Man, you guys, you guys got something going here. <laughs> wow. Man, this is awesome. Tremendous musicians, including the pastor. Of course, the pastor. Praise God. Hallelujah. You know, let me just tell you a little about Anchor House. And then also the program that I'm affiliated with now is Teen Challenge. I'm a board member of Teen Challenge. I, when I let go of Anchor House, I didn't want to interfere in any way. You got to step off and stay off. I don't own it. It belongs to God. But one day I dropped by and, and all I received was complaints. Oh, this is not the way it used to be. <laughs> Of course not. You know, you bring your own atmosphere, your own leadership style. It's not going to be the way. I, I did it for 35 years, you see. And so, but if you, if you want to refer somebody there, you know, we're in the, we're in the, we're in the website. And, uh, uh, we're, you know, you can keep in mind that uh, Williams does the worship there. In the morning also, he does worship at his church. He, he attends a church out in uh, Queens. And uh, I, I, I went after him as an, as an employer, after an employee. I went after him. I finally got him two years later because I know what fits in there. I know what we need, what we needed at that time. And uh, he's still there as a counselor. And one thing about Anchor House, you know, you have worship in the morning. You have Bible studies. And, and, but you also have these groups where you sit down and you try to iron out your problems, your issues. One of the things that I've often... Uh, recommend to church to have groups. Uh, but, you know, pastors figure, we have groups here. We'll have all these people running out of the church. <laughs> so, because groups can be, you know, really confrontative. You know what I'm saying? If you smell bad, you smell bad. We'll tell you you do. <laughs> so, so we have these groups. And then vocational uh, uh, counselor, I mean training. And that means that your schooling is all paid for. Up to twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Can you imagine going to school for twenty, thirty thousand? It's all paid for. You don't have to worry about any bills or borrowing any monies. And so we have a lot of people that are employed. We have one in the Waldorf Astoria. Uh, he is the fox guarding the, the chicken coop. He is the head locksmith there. He has the keys to. He took me to the ambassador's room. Can you imagine? And the ambassador had a briefcase there, but they always got a guard outside the door with <laughs> the screen. They're watching you. All those groups have cameras. And so he is the head of there and Hilton, that Hilton owns the Waldorf. No longer. The Chinese have gotten it now. Um, and then you have, you know, the Four Season Hotel. The, 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 the head chef is one of our graduates. You see, we send them out to the marketplace. Not everybody's going to be a preacher, but you can be a preacher where God places you at, a marketplace preacher, you see. And so, I mean, you name it, we have guys with doctorate degrees. We have, we have, we have guys that are running their own programs. They, they, and, I mean, women, that, that one of the ladies uh, in, in Staten Island where I live, she's the assistant pastor of a church. The other one is, 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 is here in Fordham. She's trying to get, uh, uh, attempting to get her doctorate. And she was a prostitute from the streets. And when, and when she came to us, we had to take her to court. She had these felonies. 
and we had to represent her. Bring her, of course, you know. And so we, we, we're, we're producing. We're producing. And, and, and the foundation has to be Christ. Because that's where you get your hope and your passion and your, and, and your vitality and, and your energy, you see. And so the staff of Anchor House represents what God wants in the, in the, in the lives of people. Now, you know, the women, when they first came in, they had this entitlement mentality. And the reason for that is because the women are dependent upon some guy out in the streets. Some of the guys know, like Eddie O'Hara, when Eddie came through the program, he became a counselor. Eddie O'Hara owned his own shop out here, right, Eddie? You own your, your own mechanic shop. And uh, so Eddie had already a, a vocation. And so when he was in Anchor House, he went for counseling because he, vocationally he, he, he had it together. And so, but the women don't have that. And so there's this mentality this enslaved mentality, we have to break them out of it. And then this, this mentality of, of, of uh, and I understand why, I, we have to be sensitive. Many of the women, 80% of them have been sexually abused. And you find that even in churches today, there's people that are supposedly be normal, but I have found, because I'm in churches every week, a different church, I found that there's a lot of inner healing that has to take place, and particularly in women, you see. And then the boys, uh, they, they need to put down their pride, their arrogancy, their stubbornness, and so on. And uh, when, I, when I do men's, men's uh, conference like I did yesterday, um, I encourage the men, but at the same time, I kick their behinds, you see. So because I, I, I have experience in doing this. And, uh, and, and I know how to do this. I know, I know, how to, I, I know what works, what would set a person free. I, I know, you see, religion is not going to do it. It's a personal relationship, a trusting relationship. Because if you really have a personal relationship, a, per, a trusting, and God begins to show you when you lock yourself in with him, and he shows you that there's trauma in your life, inner hurts and, 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 and something that you went through, crisis in your life and abuses. And, and so then, then the Holy Spirit shows you these things. And one thing about God, he can walk right into your past. Psychiatrists will give you pills and make you a legal junkie. And uh, a psychologist will give you all these semantics. He'll tell you all about your problem, but he can't heal them. You see what I'm saying? And, 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 and so there's stuff in us that needs to be released. But we can't do it unless we have that trusting relationship where we can release this stuff to God and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and heal those wounds. And so you find a lot of folks in churches, because I've done churches. You know, I've, I've, I've worked in churches. I've done, I, I'm doing the work of the church. But I think the pastors have it harder than me because I go in there and I kick behinds and I run and the pastor has to, has to patch them up. <laughs> you see, he has to stay and deal. It must be difficult for pastors. And not only that, I can take one message and preach it 40 times, the same message, because I go to 40 different churches. You follow what I'm saying? The pastor has to study and, and, and bring something new, you see. And then he has to hang out, he has to stay with the people. And, and, and what I found out in my experience with churches is that it's very difficult 
than Anchor House. Anchor House is you do it the way I tell you to do, and now I'll kick you right out. You, know what I'm <laughs> you, you go to sleep when I tell you to go to sleep, you dress the way I tell you to dress, and you read what I tell you to read. Right? Now I kick you in your behind. And one thing about those guys, they can beat me up anytime, but they receive it because they know I love them. I was preaching in this church the other day. I was preaching in a church the other day, and this young, I love young people, and this young lady came up to me and said, you know, you know what kind of preacher you are? And I said, what? What kind of preacher? In your face type of preacher. <laughs> but we accept it because we see the love in your eyes. And they said, I said, wow. Whew. For a minute there, I thought I was going to get grouped. <laughs> and so God wants to set us free. He wants to mend us. He wants to, to make us whole. And so that brings me, that was just the introduction. It brings me to, to read with me, uh, look into the Bible with me, a book of Luke. Um, I'm not going to say like, like Trump said the other day, two, two Corinthians. I know the Bible. <laughs> I know my Bible. <laughs> I know the word. <laughs> so, so we're going to look at the book of Luke, chapter 8, verse 40. And um, this is one of my favorite stories. One, of, one, of, one thing about women in the Bible, they're my heroes. I tell you, I, there's a guy that's preaching always about the women in the Bible is me. Women are my heroes. Because I grew up with my mother. My mother raised me. My father was a preacher that messed up and, and abandoned us. And my mother hung in there. She got saved and she kept following the Lord. Hallelujah. So I grew up in the Lord until 13 years old. I, I've left and went out to the streets uh, because I was hurt. I was wounded. I was abandoned. I had feelings of abandonment. And there was all kinds of feelings that you don't realize when you're young. There's so much issues and so much hurt and uh, low self-worth and felt like garbage. And so I dropped out of school when I was a child and just ran the streets. But this is what Jesus, this is a story here that is really, really solid. It says, so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him. For they all, all for, for they were all waiting for him. So there was, there was great expectation. Apparently, these folks heard about Jesus healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, feeding the 5,000, casting out demons. So there was a, a, a great expectation. They were expecting. You know something? I believe that you today, this church is a tremendous church, but I believe that through the worship and all that we have experienced today, that there's an expectation here. An expectation produces manifestation of God's power. I went to a Methodist church one day, and you know how the Methodist church, the mainline churches are, they have all these liturgical stuff that you got to go through. And, and, so, uh, and so I was, I, I, my expectation was lower than the people because I said, you know, I've experienced and, you know, <laughs> you know this liturgical process. I, I'm not into all that. And so they usher me into 
the back room where the choir was. And what I heard from the choir was, we were expecting you. We heard about you. We heard good things about you. So the Lord spoke to me and says, there's going to be some miracles done here. And that Methodist church here in Harlem turned into a Pentecostal church. <laughs> Signs and wonders took place. I'm telling you, people began to see visions of God. I know that there's some people, they, they left. I have to be honest, while I was preaching, some left. But the ones that stayed, and God gave them an increase spiritually, and then, and then in numbers, man, I tell you, it was Grace United Methodist Church in Holland. I mean, the preacher's no longer there. They went back into the, uh, the routine. But when we were there, and we saw, we saw the power of the Holy Spirit move there, people speaking in tongues, and let me tell you something. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because you speak in tongues and the Holy Spirit begins to heal you and edify you. You know, on my way here, my wife can tell you I'm speaking in tongues, edifying myself, getting ready for this. And so it says that the people were under great expectation. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. And he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet. And begged him to come to his house. And he had an only daughter about 12 years of age. And she was dying. But as he went, the multitude began to press against Jesus. In those days, as you know, they didn't have the, the, uh, the uh, secret service that these guys that are running for office have. They didn't have the people, you know, uh, watching them and, and the security and all that. Jesus didn't have that because you had access to him. You see, you can come to Jesus at any time. And so here's the crowd pushing and pressing against Jesus. And, and his disciples didn't like that idea, but they didn't have any uh, crowd control. There were thousands of people because some of them perhaps were there because they heard that he had a, 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 a uh, uh, what do you call, one of those programs that feed the hungry. Because probably they heard that he fed 5,000. So they were there for different reasons. Some were there because they heard about his healing. Hallelujah. So they're pressing, they're grabbing him, and, and they're pushing against him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who has spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Now, I tell you why this woman here, this afflicted woman impresses me. It says that she was afflicted with a, she had this flow of blood. I remember preaching this message the first time I preached this message. I was sitting on the platform, had no idea I was going to preach this message. And, and, and the Lord spoke to my heart and says, I want you to preach that message now. I said, but God, how can this be? I spent hours on this message that I'm going to preach now. I don't know about switching over. I didn't prepare. And the Holy Spirit says, if you don't, I'll take the anointing off you here. And I said, Okay. And I preached a message, and out in the audience, there was a director of movie. This lady was high-level position. She had a flow of blood. She couldn't stop. And so I made this altar call. She comes up, 
And God heals her instantaneously right there and there because I was flowing with the presence of God. You see, I was going with the direction of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so here she is. I would imagine that this particular woman, how in the world this woman, this sickly woman, got to Jesus. When in those days, thousands of years ago, women were second-class citizens. You had no rights. And even today, one of our guys of Anchor Houses, he comes from the Hebrew uh, Orthodox family, and his father died. They buried him right away, and then they have service. And what they did, he invited me there. What they did, they stuck me in the back room with the women. And I'm thinking, wow, thank God that I'm saved. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and so the men, they do all the service. They do all the activities. You know, I've seen churches like that. I went to a gypsy church, and the women do not, they don't participate in the service. These people were from Romania. And I saw all the guys. They were up in the front. They were dancing. They were singing. And the women would just stand, stand in, the, in, in, in the seats. And, but can you imagine in those days, thousands of years ago, these women, women had no, no rights Particularly this one. This one had a, 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 a flow of blood. In other words, according to the Mosaic law, she had, she, she's, suppo- she's impure. She's not supposed to be out there in, in contact with people. And, not, and, and touching the, the master, I mean, in those days, if you had a flow of blood, you were supposed to get isolated. They would isolate you. Can you imagine? You're a woman. You're sick, and you're isolated for 12 years. You have no no rights at all. You cannot even be in public. I mean, 12 years with this condition. And I don't know how did she get to Jesus when I believe, I assume that the men were up front. You see, but but, but I would imagine because she touched what? The hem of his garment. I would imagine that she was crawling, and there was a desperation here. It's driven. Hallelujah. This desperation drives faith. No matter what, you know, no matter what situation you're in, you're going to get to Jesus because you're desperate now. You have no other options. Doctors couldn't do anything. Now you're going to do whatever you have to do. And I can imagine her crawling around those stinking feet of men because in those days they wore sandals and they walked for miles and it's smelly feet of men and she just crawled right through them. I'm going to touch him. And if I touch the hand of his garment, I'm going to get healed. Great expectation driven by desperation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. And if you read the book of Leviticus, chapter 15, 19 through, you'll find the law. And Jesus violated the law in that sense in order to minister to that lady. He allowed her to touch him. Because the women couldn't touch a man, especially when they had an issue of blood. My Lord. Five th- so so here, here's a whole bunch of people. You know, I remember, I remember one time I shot some heroin. And I needed to sit somewhere. You know, I was tired of running. You know, when you're running the streets. And so I heard this, you know, the, the, uh, the worship coming from this church. And so I said, let me go back there and sit down. 
And so I sat in the back so they can tell that I'm, I'm you know, stinking dope thing of standing, sitting back there, probably didn't take a shower for weeks and sitting back there. And there was a brother that was sharing and he was saying that he was a drug addict and that God healed him and had given him the ability, the gifts of healing and that he was, that God wanted to use him to heal people and, and who wanted to get healed there? So, Cause, you know, I, I needed healing that day. I'll, I'll explain to you later on. But I got up out of my seat, and I stagger, <laughs> I stagger up there, and everybody's looking. You know, where did this dope thing come from? And so I'm, I'm staggered all the way up, and he said to me, do you want to get saved? I said, later for salvation. I want to get healed. <laughs> and so he, pray, he prayed for me. And I got healed instantaneously. Can you understand that? Can you imagine that that's the grace of God? We can't figure God's love out. Of all those people, the only one that got healed was me. Because I was desperate. That's a desperation-driven faith. That when you're desperate and you have no other option. I was in the mountains of, of, of Sandanista over in Nic Nicaragua. Up there in the mountain, I went, I, I did mission. I don't say that I went, did mission and stayed in the city in a hotel. I went, I went into the mountain where they had no running water, no dentists, no doctors, no school. There was a pile of junk and the children would go there looking to see if they can find something to eat. And I was talking Jesus. I was talking to these people about the power of God, that Jesus loves them. And this little girl, oh boy, I tell you, our children always test us. This little girl comes up to me. She was about seven years old. And she said, Father, you know, because they're Catholic predominantly. 70% of Hispanics are Catholic. And so she, was, she said, Father, Father, uh, I have a toothache. Uh, can, can you heal me? And I thought, oh. Man, I jammed myself up. I, and I, what am I going to do? I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, it's not really about you. It's, it's about me. I can heal her. See, there's no dentist up there. So she needed healing. There was no option. That little girl was desperate. There's a, there's a desperation that drives you to believe God, to believe God for miracles. And I, I said, God, <laughs> this is all about you, as you said. And, uh, and, I, and in Jesus' name, she's healed. The girl was healed instantaneously. My God. Hallelujah. No options. Sometimes God has to put us in a situation like that, you know, that, that we're driven by desperation. You know, what happened to me, let me just share briefly about my, my testimony. As I mentioned to you, I left church at the age of 13. I went and got involved with gangs. I was a hurting guy. I felt like garbage. I felt like I didn't belong. I was hurting. And I got involved with gangs. And we did stuff that, you know, you know stuff. We did violent stuff out there as, as a gang leader. The only thing that, that, that really the Catholic Church uh, wonderfully tried to, to help because the Pentecostals were busy praying. And so... And so so the, Catholic Church, the Catholic Church reached out, and, and, and they gave us sweaters. We were known as crusaders, and they opened up a community center for us because we were busy shooting and killing each other. And so the gangs were rough here in the, in, in, in the Bronx as well. In Brooklyn, it was, it was bad as well. And, 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 and so 
there we were, we were, we were involved, you know, there, and they taught us certain things, and, and, uh, but, but, you know, but they couldn't really do it because we, 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 were, we were hurting people. Religion is not going to do it. The, the community center helped us, but it was a limited type of help. And so we went back out to the street, but I tell you what split the gangs. A girl by the name of heroin came into existence, and we all started shooting heroin. And uh, we couldn't stop after a while. I tried. I tried geographical change, and you know how it is. Some of you have been there. And I did, I did everything to try. I tried psychology. I tried psychiatry. I tried geographical changes. I tried detox places. I went to this Bernstein Institute. In those days, it was called Bernstein Institute. I, I went there 22 times. And I went there every time I, I, I did some horrible things to people. And the police was seeking me out for a number of attempted murder charges. I went after drug dealers, like that banker. Remember, I mean, that thief, they used to rob banks, and they asked him, why? His name was Sultan. And why, why, why do you rob banks? He said, that's where the money's at. So you ask me why I robbed the drug dealers, that's where the drug is at. <laughs> Simple as that. You go after them. And so I decided I'm going to go after them but I'm going to mutilate them because they're going to come after me. I know they're going to come after me, so I might as well mutilate them and, and, and cut them all up or shoot them or something. You know what I'm saying? And that was my mentality. I lost my mind. I was criminally insane after a while because I tried so many different ways and it didn't work. When I went for those detox programs in the hospital, I used to, come, I used to sneak pills in. Because I knew as soon as they give you these drugs for seven days, and then after seven days, you got to go cold in a sense. They give you sleeping pills. So I would bring my own stash in there. And they had this little homosexual guy, a nurse, that would search you, and all I got to do was just pat him in the back and tell him. <laughs> and he used to allow us to go with the pills. <laughs> so, I mean, you do whatever you have to do. And so, and, and so I bring in these pills, and... And, and then after they took me off, I, I sell some and I take some. I couldn't, I couldn't get off drugs. I was, I was what you call a drugstore, a trash can. One day, let me just share this. One day, I ran out of pills. So now I'm in trouble. I'm in there, and I'm beginning to feel pain. I was so weak psychologically, emotionally, that I, I couldn't even deal with pain. And, and I looked at the system in the hospital. Let me examine it. Ah, what they used to do is like you get online and you go up to this window and they dispense. If you're on alcohol, they give you this thing, paradehyde. If you're on heroin, they give you methadone. If you're on pills, they give you pills. And so you get online and they give you a cup and you take it and you drink water and you take the rest, what's in that cup, and you throw it in the garbage can that's right outside the nurse station. So I looked at the system and I said, oh, I see Steal the garbage can. <laughs> so I stole the garbage can, filled the cup up with whatever was in there, and almost overdosed in the bathroom. But that's the way you are. You're desperate for drugs. And so I kept going. for. I, I couldn't stop. And the and more stuff that you try, the more groups. Or, I, I, just couldn't, I just couldn't deal with, with programs. I tell you why. Because when I saw the counselors puffing up on cigarettes, I would say, and you know, that's, that's, 
That's what you see in the programs today. They either drink or they smoke, right? These therapeutic programs, they only got 1% so-called, to be honest, they have no cure rate. The only one that can bring cure is Jesus. You, you talk to them. You talk to them. Ask them. Tell them. Ask them. How, 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 are you successful? Don't use the word success with drug treatment programs here. Because you use that word, you're going to get yourself in trouble with them. Because they have no success. No success whatsoever. What they do, they take you out, especially now, out of illegal drugs, and they, they addict you to legal drugs. They have a psychiatrist on staff. I know all about that. I'm a KSAC guy. So I had to come here the other day to the Bronx to do my uh, re-up. Uh, I had to re-up for three more years to be, I'm a case. I've been case, I was one of the first original case, it wasn't called case at, at that time, counselor, right? And uh, I started talking there, I thought they were going to lynch me in that class. God tells me, you got to talk. I said, God, but why you want me, I tell these people they're going to lynch me here. You got to tell them. I'm, I'm concerned about these people. You've got to tell them about Anchor House. You've got to tell them about Jesus. You've got to tell them that I'm the only one. And so I opened my mouth, and these folks, they want to lynch me in those class. I'm serious. But you've got to pay a price. You've got to stand up. If you don't stand up for, for what's right, then you're afraid or something like that, you'll, you'll never be able to reach people. And so every time I open my mouth, they're ready, they're ready to lynch me. And so what happened to me, going back to my, my life, some people were looking for me. I had the police. They saw my, my in those days, they put posters in the priest. Remember that? They put, my poster was there. I was considered a dangerous, violent criminal because I, I perpetrated violent. I just lost myself. I, I, I tried to even kill myself. It was all violent. It was demonic. And so these folks decided that they would kill me. And they got me. They, they watched me. And I used to go through, you know how these buildings are? You can go through the back and come out the other way, the project the same way. That's the way I travel. And so, and one day I was walking past these factory paved area. 11, it was, it was late on a Saturday night. So there was nobody around there. And I was passing by, it was around September. The playoff. I'm, I'm a Puerto Rican. I like boxing and, and baseball. And so I'm, walking, so I'm walking down like this, looking at the paper, and they get out the car, and they begin to fire. I felt bullets passing by. You know how, you, how many of you are a police officer? You know how it is. When you shoot at somebody, you feel this wind. <laughs> and, and so bullets hit me here. They were dumb, dumb bullets. Come in, and they explode in you. They hit various organs. The bullets hit my lung, made holes in my intestines, hit my bladder, and hit my main artery. And they left me there to die. I was desperate. Desperation-driven faith. And I cried out. I said, God, I deserve this. I squared with God. I came, I came with the truth. I deserve this, God. But if you give me another chance, if you give me another chance, I'll serve you. Help me. And God dispatch, as I look back, because you know about gunshots. You know you can't get up when you're bleeding inside and you're drowning in your own blood. And, 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 and God says, okay, I heard you. I'll mobilize heaven for you. I'll dispatch 
surely goodness and mercy. And suddenly I got up. I got up. And I walked around. Around the block where there was some hicks playing dominoes. I'm a hick too. I love dominoes. And <laughs> I forgot to mention dominoes. I'm the champ of domino and handball. And so... <laughs> I walked around like this and I collapsed again. Police, they, 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 they got ears. And let me tell you something. I hated police in those times. One of my goals was to kill the police. And yet God uses two police officers to save my life. They heard, they heard the gunshot. They risked their own uh, vocation, their own employment by looking at me and picking me up because they can't, they, they, that, that's not protocol. They picked me up and they put me in their back seat and they took me directly to the hospital because they knew I was, I was ready to die. I was in and out of consciousness. God planned sovereignly. The head doctor was about ready to leave. He had his jacket. When he saw those two police officers bringing me in, he, he didn't know I was a junkie, a garbage can. He thought that I was a police officer. And he took his jacket off the best surgeon, Miss, uh, Dr. Lee, a Chinese brother. You know, those Chinese doctors are good. <laughs> <laughs> and so he started working on me. And for months, I was in that hospital with machines. And then, and then they had to clear my room. They had to take out the other patients because they, they received threats that they wanted to kill me. Can you imagine laying in there in the hospital? And you got all these machines trying to keep you alive. And now you got to worry about somebody coming in and kill you? Let me tell you, when I left the hospital, I remember the commitment I made to God. So I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it together. But I have to take care of a few guys before I go in. Because you don't, you don't have the trade. You can get saved. If the pastor knows that you're saved, right away the pastor is thinking about training you disciplining you, uh, structuring your life with the word of God. I was saved, but I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what to do. I knew that I had to take care of you guys, and then I go in the program. And then now I got these three attempted murder charges. And so I ran into Teen Challenge. I ran into Teen Challenge almost 30, 30, 40 years ago. 40 years ago, I went into the program. And God began to deal with my heart. And I realized that I was desperate for him. That I needed his help. You see. And let me just share this. I got saved. I went to Bible school. I met this young lady. And so I thought that once you get saved, all problems are over. <laughs> no, I didn't mean you. <laughs> I didn't mean you. I mean, I mean what I mean, I know, I make it look. <laughs> I'm getting myself in trouble here. <laughs> what, what we, we were involved in a car accident. Some kids were going 70 miles an hour. We were on the way from a Bible class, and they, and they ran into us head on. She expired. She died, and they had to bring her back to life. My whole face was shattered, and I had internal bleeding, and they took us to the hospital. 
She was there for months, brain damage, in a coma. And so doctors, so we pray. I got, I remember laying in bed, and I'm going to complete with this, because I heard, I heard, was that a cell phone, or was that the pastor ringing a bell, telling me, yes, you're over, you're done, get out. <laughs> And so I remember laying in bed helpless. My wife was on the third. I was on the fourth floor, Riverside Hospital in, in, in New Jersey. And I remember crying out to God. And I slipped out of the bed, dragged myself into the bathroom. I was desperate, desperation-driven faith. And I went in there. There was no, you know how. Doctor, these, these, these bathrooms, they have no light. But there was a light. There was a brilliance. And the Lord spoke to me. And I had, my eye was in danger of losing my sight because this whole, my whole face, glass, and oh, my whole face was cracked. I had to do plastic surgery. So they didn't know whether I was going to lose sight of my left eye. And I went in there and I cried out to God out of desperation. And I said, God, I don't understand this. My wife is dying. My mother's dying at home from cancer. All my brothers are on drugs. I don't know what to do. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, I'm going to heal your wife. I'm going to give you vision. I'm going to take your mother home. And I'm going to save the baby. She was pregnant. And doctors said that because oxygen didn't go down to the baby, that she had to abort because the baby was going to be brain damaged. And then finally when she came out of the coma, she, she couldn't move her limbs. She wasn't rationalizing. They had her in a straitjacket. They were planning to send her to one of those permanent places. But God said he was going to heal her. And God said that he was going to give us a healthy baby. And so we prayed together. And she told the doctor, it was her decision, along me backing her up, because I told her, my wife believed when I tell her that God speaks to me. And, and she told the doctors, I'm not going to do that. All those specialists, I remember they were just standing by her bed like this, and they're saying, you've got to abort, because not only that is going to harm you, you have to. And we decided we're not going to do it. God began to heal her. He began to heal her. She began to rationalize. She began to get her senses back. And, 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 then, and, then, and then I told her, I'm going home. I'm not going to visit you for seven days. I'm going on a seven-day fast. I'm not going to drink water. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. And I'm going to pray. I'm just going to secure this in the Lord. I was so desperate. And uh, some fellows knocked on my door. And they came from church. And they said to me, we came to pray for you. And then they left. And one of them came back, knocked on the door and says, I forgot to tell you what we were praying. Because he says, I, I didn't know, but God told me something about a baby. He said to tell you that the baby's going to be all right. Our baby son was born healthy, 
served his country in Iraq, security forces. God spared his life there. God, we were desperate. We were desperate. My mother, God, took home. All my brothers, every single one of them went into a program. God began to do miraculous, miraculous, desperation, driven faith. God can do it. God can do it. I know that some of you are praying for, for your spouse and your children. I know the Lord tells me this stuff, but God told me to come here and tell you that there's hope. There's hope. That sometimes we're up close and we see things and we think it's not going to happen. We got to remove ourselves away by faith and believe God because God loves us. He wants to prove himself to us. He wants to do great things in our lives. Can you stand with me? I just want to pray with you right now. Hallelujah. I don't know if you know, I, I was telling the pastor that my son, my second son was hit by a bus out here in, uh, in Manhattan on uh, York and 68th Street. He, he works at the hospital there, and a huge bus smashed him. And, uh, and I have to tell you that God is doing miraculous. He's doing well. He's out of the hospital. He's out of internal care. He's talking church now. And uh, he lives alone, and we visit him every, practically every day. And, and God spoke to my heart and told me that, that sometimes we got to lay on our back to look up, you know. And my son who jumped out of church, he's 28 years old. He, he removed himself out of church because he said that the youth pastor was in the bar and he felt that he, this thing is about hypocrisy. And let me tell you something. We all fall short. But if you build yourself in God and you're grounded and rooted in God, nothing is going to take you away from the Lord, you see. Hallelujah. You know, we can make all the excuses we want, but God, God, God wants to want you to know that you have to get grounded and rooted, especially in these days. Especially in these days. We got to get, I, I met the pastor the other day out here in the prayer meeting because we're praying, man. I mean, things look really, really tough out here. In the political world, across the board, it looks really rough. And so I met the pastor, and he says, I want you to come over to the church and preach. But we were there praying. We're living in some, um, somebody, I told somebody, we're living in the last days. He said, no, 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 we're living in the last hour, in the last hour. And so we need to get grounded and rooted, and we need to believe in the supernatural, that God can do it. We can rationalize this. We can use our reasoning, our logic. We got to believe God for miracles right now. I believe that God is telling me to tell you, those of you that have a need. I, I, God told me that, that some, of, some of you here have children. You have sons and you have a daughter. You have, you have your spouses are messing up out there. And God is telling me, and, and others, God is telling me that some of you are dealing with physical situations. You know, my, 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 my father, I have 17 brothers and sisters. My father, the preacher, went around from church to church, and it wasn't to preach. And, uh, and my brother, my father called me. I'm not, I have no relationship with my brothers and sisters from the other side. They're extremely Catholic. It means nothing, but I, I just don't have. And my father called me. I just want to encourage you with this. Call me to tell me that my brother was going to die. 
that the, that the priest gave him his last rite that they were preparing for burial. And my wife goes, my wife and I, my wife says, I know that he's going to hear us, Henry, because when I was in a coma, I heard you. So let's go and speak to this brother. Let's speak to your brother. And when we went and told the family, they were in the lobby, that we were going to go in and believe God for healing, this is what they told us. You know, tr- stop, stop th- this ridiculous stuff. Don't, don't, don't come in here with false hope. Don't you realize that he's going to die? The priest was there. They believe in the priest. The priest was there. He did the last rite. We're preparing. But my wife and I, we broke out of that group of people, our family. And we went in, and my wife spoke to him. And I spoke to him. And you know what? He opened his eyes. He winked at her. I was ready to smack her. What? You're winking at my wife now? God healed him. God healed him. He's in Florida, and he's doing well. 